This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Jeff, Amy, Awesome Possum Blossom, Taco Cat, Matthew, William, Brandon, Dave, Scott, Tristam, Kate, Isaac, Ori, Karun, Eddie, and Nick B. And all the patrons want you to know that you are loved, you are listened to, and you're a valued member of this Horror Virgin community. And if you want to hang out with us, please do so in the Facebook group or in the Horror Virgin Discord, where we chat daily. I feel like Paige is going to lecture us on this movie, and it's going to feel like it's endless. Endless. (laughs) (laughs) It would be hilarious if in the middle of this movie, Bill Murray just comes out of one of the cabins like, not again. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for tuning into the Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And this week, Paige made us watch The The Endless. Endless. Yes. Now, I'm assuming, Paige, this is not the first time you've seen this movie. No, I saw this in theaters. Oh. It, it came, yeah, it came out right around the same time as Quiet Place. And uh, one of my sorority sisters was like, hey, no one else will go see this with me, but you like weird shit. And I was like, yes, yes, I do. And so we got to the theater and they were like, <laughs> oh, you're here for the good shit. Which, by the way, having seen Quiet Place, it's not that Quiet Place is bad. Or even better than this. Like, it's just a different movie. But the guy at the at the concession stand was like, y'all know what's good because we were seeing this and everyone else was seeing Quiet Place because it was only like us and a handful of other people in the theater. So You know what I miss most about the world before COVID is like really pretentious, snooty. concessions yeah. people. <laughs> yes, yes! <laughs> it, it, was, it was an art theater. Like, it, it was like a, a snooty L.A. Yeah, theater. no so. shit. We knew that the second you made the person in the story sound like a drug dealer. Oh, y'all here for this good y'all shit. Y'all here for the good shit. Which, like, <laughs> we have Arclight cinemas out yes. here. And the people who work at concessions, they, like, have their favorite movies on their, like, name tags and stuff and there's like a 90 percent chance when you're getting your concessions and they're like what movie are you seeing that they will pass judgment on whatever it is that you're there to see the rudest thing i've ever seen in my life happened from a concession person at a movie theater and it was someone (laughs) right in front of me asked hey how much is a combo and this kid could not have been more than 17 years old looked up at the display of like the menu <laughs> and he said follow along as i read aloud and then he <laughs> at it and he said combo 899 or whatever the cost was i was like holy shit this dude is like on board to get fired and does not care i loved it so much that's amazing uh my first job was at a regal cinemas as a snooty concessioner not at all surprised by that and i'm like i'm like you're not seeing Ghosts of Mars? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Live your life however you choose, plebe. <laughs> I'm wearing a vest and a bow tie, okay? <laughs> I'm fancy. I clearly know what's good. <laughs> I'm part of the Finer Things Club. <laughs> Speaking of knowing what's good, Paige, what was your first experience with this movie? Like, How did you feel about it when you saw it in the theater with your sorority sister? It was completely different than what we, both of us, expected it to be. Right. Because it did, in fact, end? Yeah, because it did, in fact, end. (laughs) But also, it had been kind of sold to us as it's a UFO cult and they're going to have to, like, try to escape it. Which sort 
this movie? I would say that is what happens in this movie. Kind of, but I think we expected it to be the people in the cult would be the horrifying force in it. Right. And to find out that it it is not necessarily that, it is kind of a very different movie, uh, was surprising. But I really, really liked it the first time. I've liked it subsequent times, too, uh, for a lot of reasons. I feel like they do some very unique and inventive things, both with story and with how they represent it. And also, we knew going in that it was a super low-budget movie. And so in watching it, we were just like, how did they do this Yeah, for the amount of money they spent? Like, this is a masterclass in using every cent wisely yeah this like because it's so well done for what it is so mikey what did you think about it when you first saw it and when did you first see it i think when it first came out i didn't see it in theaters when it first came out on streaming they didn't have it in theaters around here but i heard a lot of buzz around it and that it connected with the last movie they did i'll talk about that yeah, yeah. and it was not what i was expecting based on the trailer i was expecting more horror elements and i like a good science fiction movie so i yeah. i like I, I i was in it yeah, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it as like a like a probably like a medium level enjoyment. I think I enjoyed it more watching it this time than I did the first mm-hmm. time. Okay, so this is the first time I saw it. Clearly, I've only seen it once, but I really dug it. Like it was really yeah. good. Once you get there and realize that they are a UFO death cult, but the UFO they're I, I don't even want to say worshiping, but they're trapped by is real. Yes, and like is controlling the situation and, and is like mucking with time. I was like, okay, cool. They are gonna have to escape the UFO death cult, right? And it's just a cool, different perspective of escaping a cult because then the cult members are not your problem. It's the actual right. like UFO or what we we never see it. I'm so grateful we never saw a dude in a rubber alien suit. I'm yes. so grateful we never saw that. I complain on this show a lot about showing the monster when you don't need to. And I think this movie is a textbook case for not showing the monster. There is no need for it. And of course the shitty filmmaker in me was like Oh man, this is so good for what literally is a very shoestring, almost nothing budget. There's nothing in this that I couldn't shoot with like the equipment that I own, but I would never have thought to do some of the stuff that they do. Which is why I love it so much. Like I felt like I was learning things about filmmaking by watching it. (laughs) I'm I'm very excited that you loved it, Todd, because I was like, Todd is either going to hate this because it's slow, or he's going to love it, and it's there's nothing in between. The one thing that I think we do need to understand about this movie, and something that they improve upon in their next movie, our two main characters are not actors. Yeah, they're the writer director. They're the writer and the director because they couldn't afford actors. That's how little money they had. And for not being actors, they do a pretty serviceable job. But they clearly understood that that was an issue because in their next movie, they're like, no, no, no. It's Jamie Dornan and Anthony Mackie now. (laughs) Like, fuck everything Because we can afford real actors. Yeah, because we can afford real actors. Yep. I also like that it sort of feels like an indictment of controlling regimes on every level, which I enjoy too. But let's just get into it and talk about it because there's a lot going on in this movie, which I like. So let's get into this movie. Yeah, let's do it. He's working in some sort of mannequin factory assembling their bodies. Wrong movie page. (laughs) Yeah. Loop it around. Um, Okay. (laughs) So the movie opens with two quotes. The first is, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is the fear of the unknown, H.P. Lovecraft. 
which is something that Phil Eisner quoted to me in his writing for horror movies class one time. So that's a quote nice. that I was pretty familiar with. That's I was like, awesome. oh, we into some Lovecraftian shit. Uh, and then the second quote, friends tell each other how they feel with relative frequency. Siblings wait for a more convenient time, like their deathbeds, unknown. <laughs> Which I think is actually, like, having seen the movie, a very applicable quote. Yes. So. I also think they made it up and then attributed it to unknown. <laughs> That's very possible. It's very, very possible. Yeah. I mean, I don't care. It fits the story really well. One of the things that I love about this story is while we do get rules for the the quote unquote monster or the entity, if you want to call it that, it is still an unknown but it is still escapable, if that makes sense. It's it's the opposite of Oculus, where we do have a seemingly all-powerful entity and we don't fully understand it and no one fully will, but there are rules in place that do allow them to escape. Yeah, it's trapped out in the middle of nowhere. So, we open the film with a box covered in stamps arrives on a front step. Yeah. Aaron picks it up, and as he does, he receives a text from his brother to get a new car battery. He opens the box and pulls out a nearly destroyed DV tape. So like an old camcorder tape. He hits up a garage sale to find a camera to play it. Did you notice the newspaper that falls to the ground? Because they show it when he pulls that tape out is like really old newspaper. Like the woman in yeah. that shot is like wearing some like 1950s style dress, which I'm not not into. But like I thought that, that was a nice, really cool like Easter eggy type touch because it's all messing with time. You know, we're going to be messing with time at this point. Yep. So as he hits up a garage sale to find a camera that will play it, he gets another text from his brother that just says battery do it now yeah because he's like buy a battery for the car because it's going bad because you leave the dome light on and you know yep. just like a good younger brother he does the opposite of what's asked <sighs> yep. so we cut back to their apartment where he has plugged in the camcorder he bought from the garage sale and is watching the tape and it's basically a goodbye video for a cult it's very similar to some of the Heaven's Gate videos. Yeah. Just this idea of like, we're leaving, but don't feel bad for us. We accept it. It's going to be okay. Just so you guys know, if you come back and we're not back yet, this is what happened. Yeah. We then cut to an overhead view of the campground, which is very important. This is something I missed the first couple times I watched it. But occasionally... We will get overhead views of things during the story. Yeah. And that's the creature's point of view. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't notice that at this point because we haven't right. been introduced to that. But they do a pretty good job of setting that up later in the movie, especially when they drop the photos down to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To Aaron, I should say. Yeah. Was he under the lake, though, that one time? Yeah, you, that's the only time you sort of see something. But it, it's so obscured, you could never make it out. You And yeah. the only real representations you have of it are the drawings, which change drawing to drawing because it's almost as if the person drawing doesn't even really know how to contextualize what is happening. Yeah. So we cut to he and his brother Justin are watching it together and Justin says, you spent $20 on that and you didn't get the car battery. And then he says, well, you said they did it already. And what he means is you said they already killed themselves, referring to the cult and the tapes. And Justin says, they said they were going to do it right before we left. I saved you from mass suicide. You're welcome. Yeah. And then the video 
focuses on the campfire from above, which if you're watching this a second time, lets you know that the entity is the one who sent the tape yeah. trying to call them back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's the entity's POV, really. Right. Yeah. Well, you see, the entity holds creepy old crank camcorders and is always watching you. I mean, basically. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think you were trying to set up a joke, but, like, you sort of backed into the truth there. <laughs> yeah. I, well, essentially, yes. it's almost like the entity has the same powers as Samara from the ring yes. and that it can, like, imprint images. Yeah. Oh, I was just saying that the entity probably watches you shower and then mails you that tape later. Absolutely. Again, you've backed into the truth. Yeah. Because, like, if I was that entity, of course I'd watch that shit. I would be deliberately looking for people fucking and showering. Or fucking in showers. True. So we cut to Aaron and Justin are cleaning a house, and they stop for a lunch break. I thought it was interesting that they stop for a lunch break at the person's house they're cleaning and are just using their pots and pans to make ramen. Right. They just settle yeah. in. And Justin basically says, I'm, I'm not going to have lunch because we now have to save money so that we can buy a car battery. Yeah, he's real passive aggressive about it, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you have to do as an older brother. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yep. So Aaron basically counters back with, they used to feed us real food. Yeah. And Justin basically says, well, I'd rather be alive and eating ramen than dead and eating vegetables. Yeah. So take what you can get. And he basically argues back with him essentially Aaron doesn't believe that the cult was as dangerous as Justin believed that it was and Justin is now saying like hey they were gonna kill themselves and now they are so I was 10 years off whatever and Aaron is like well in the video they just said they're going somewhere not killing themselves and he basically is like I don't want to talk about this anymore I have deprogramming in half an hour which I think is really interesting that they showed this I actually really like that they show kind of their therapy sessions yeah for them getting out of the cult. And also it shows that like when you leave a cult because you're leaving your whole community behind and everything behind really, it's really difficult. Yeah. And they are clearly struggling 10 years after they leave because yeah. they, I mean, we find out later their mom died and then their right. only family was this cult. Yeah. And they were kids. So it was like yeah. doubly yeah. hard. Yeah. No, absolutely. They were sort of orphans and in a cult. What I do like about this movie, because this movie ask a question is my older brother right and they go on this whole adventure at the very end to be proven <laughs> that yes he was and if you listened the whole time you wouldn't have been in danger that's true mikey feels a lot of vindication from this movie and i i'm, I'm here for it it's fine mikey i get it it's just <laughs> like a little brother i mean we could talk about it when we get to the end but a little brother would be like oh yes we can both die and then being like fine I'll stay with you because, you know, you're, you get the right. And then, like, he's like, okay, we can go because I just wanted to be right. And that's how little brothers function. They will kill you just to be right. <laughs> As a little brother, I feel attacked right now. <laughs> As an older sibling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting ganged up on right now, but I'm okay with it. That's fine. I get it. <laughs> anyway, I think this section where he's in therapy is really, really interesting. Yeah, I, I do, too. And I don't know much at all about deprogramming therapy or well, what kind of therapy people go through out of cults. It's very similar to therapy for domestic violence survivors. I would assume cognitive behavioral, but... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The deprogramming process is questionable, and it's very, very debated and complicated because in many cases, much like abusive relationships in general... People cannot leave until they're ready to leave. That's just kind of the reality of the situation. And if you pull someone out and then try to undo 
brainwashing when they're not ready to leave, sometimes it can backfire and people will go back. Well, I think that's what we see in this movie because the younger brother was not like ready to leave, but he was pulled out by his older brother, which I'm not saying was a bad call, but like he's the one that wants to go back and he wants to stay and all that stuff, which I think just speaks to that. He hasn't hit that like... Some people call it like a rock bottom moment or a realization moment or that kind of thing. He just never got there, you know? Well, and, and here's the thing, too. Some people get pulled out and over time, through a lot of therapy, look back on their time in, in the controlling religious organization and are like, I do recognize that this was a cult and it wasn't healthy for me. And I didn't recognize that immediately, but now I do. Yeah. But that takes a lot of work. Leaving a cult is so so hard and anyone who makes it out at all like be proud of them because it sucks (laughs) you know what makes it easier to get to escape a cult though a car yeah if you go and buy the car battery like your older brother told you to (laughs) you're just not gonna let this go are you mikey (laughs) no you guys are making a really a lot of like real like authentic like sweet points and then i'm just like really focused on that he never bought that car battery and almost killed him at the end didn't buy that car battery it does almost kill them at the end i do really like that and we never see the therapist. We just hear the therapist yeah. who basically is like, hey, this is going to be a lifelong process. The thing that happened to you doesn't just become OK overnight. You were a child who grew up in this type of organization. You're going to have to essentially learn how to function outside of it. And it will always be a part of what you've experienced. And you're going to have to kind of grow and learn from it. And she also tells him that for your younger brother, resentment is common. Because he only remembers the good parts. He doesn't understand what you pulled him out of. Yeah. And so for him, he looks back on that life and sees it as positive and then looks at your current life, which is very difficult and doesn't want to have to do the difficult part when they could have just stayed at the easy part. Yeah. Their life is hard, though. I mean, like, no matter what you say about the car battery or whatever, their life is difficult. They are cleaning apartments for money. They're eating ramen. Where are they living? So they're living in Los Angeles. Well, that's your first mistake. Yeah, they're, they're uh, in, uh, it's McCarthy Park, MacArthur Park. And it's probably, I mean, they are getting some sort of subsidy from the government for being in the situation they were in. And that's one of the reasons they have to go to the deprogramming stuff. Yes. You don't really see it in, in this movie, especially because it's a few years back and, and pandemic has made things considerably worse. The park that they are sitting at is... A homeless encampment we we do see their apartment we know they are not homeless they likely live nearby it's not great to live nearby <laughs> yeah so they're extremely poor i feel like they make it pretty clear that they are hurting for money i mean they're fighting over the yeah. 20 dollars he spent on a camcorder at a garage sale i mean they're they're pretty hurting yeah they're sitting at the park and revealing that they're behind on bills and they might lose the car in general let alone the battery and this is where Aaron the younger brother basically says that he wants to go back and Justin's like fine fucking go <laughs> like yeah, have fun have fun with that <laughs> yeah I do want to point out though that the next time Mikey and I get together I'm gonna do to his hair what Aaron does to Justin's hair in, in the beginning of this movie oh, just shave yeah. right down the middle of it oh my god <laughs> so funny that is a brother thing to do 
and then he just runs Absolutely. off. That's that's how you know they're brothers because he just sprints away. Yeah, he's like running through the homeless encampment with the the clippers. <laughs> well, and Aaron clarifies at this point he wants to just go back for a visit, right? And Justin's like, "It's not what you think it is. It's not going to be all sunshine and rainbows. We maybe shouldn't go." And Aaron is like, "Well, let's just go back to say goodbye and get closure because they were our family for like ten years, and if they're going to yeah. kill themselves, let's at least go say bye." So they agree to go for one day and one night and then come straight back. And Justin says, will that make you feel better? If it can get you out of the slump, then sure, we'll go. And as they look up, or as at least as the camera pans up from them in the park, you see that the clouds have formed a circle. So circles in the sky are very important in this movie. Yeah. This is the first one we've seen. I mean, that's, I mean, you got to assume that's like the entity looking down, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We cut to Aaron's deprogramming appointment and he's talking about how like they can't meet girls. They don't know anyone. They don't have any friends. And he feels like he has no control over his life in part just because their life is so hard. It's just all work and Justin taking care of him, which Justin is exhausted by. Yeah. Those are natural, frustrating fears. One of the things we talk about on Cult Podcast all the time is that the way that cults get people is by meeting their tangible needs. So yep. nobody sets out to join a cult by being like, I'm totally going to join a cult. They join a cult because they need something or they're looking for something. Yeah, like Jim Jones would pay electric bills. He would feed people. Yeah. Like, And this is before they even went to Guyana. So, yeah, I mean, this is like before the Jonestown itself when he was still in California. Like, that's how mm -hmm. he built up his congregation that eventually became his cult. Right. And that's super common. That is super common. So that's what they're experiencing is this was a cult that kind of raised them, and now they're out in the world away from the cult, so they're safe in one respect. But then they are struggling. They don't have a support system. And that's what Aaron is missing. So they're in the car on their way. And Aaron's asking more questions where he's basically saying, hey, it's a commune. It's not a cult. And Justin is like, no, they refer to death as the ascension. They worship a weird forest deity. They have uniforms. Uh, yeah. yeah. They're all <laughs> castrated. You only have the good memories of this. You yeah. don't have the real life experience and then as they're doing that they pass the boobs i know the boobs senator man yeah so if you live in southern california and you've ever driven to Th San down Diego, the pcb yeah no it's nope. along the five it's on the five on the five it's close to like oceanside right it's like yeah right in that area it's a, a power plant and it just looks like two giant boobs yep we also find out that they don't have a radio antenna, so they end up singing The House of the Rising Sun, which is the one of the only songs in the movie. Because it's all they could afford, I'm assuming. <laughs> That's a big song to afford. Uh, nope. Unlocking a fun fact. <laughs> public domain. Yes. Yeah. The lyrics to House of the Rising Sun are in the public domain, which is why you never hear a recorded version of it. Yeah. You only hear characters sing it, not in tune. Because that's how they could afford it. That's amazing. Well, because that's it's really free, funny. essentially. That That is amazing. I really do feel like these two actors do a great job of being brothers. And it's probably because they are a writing and directing duo. And they've been working together for probably more than a decade. Mm -hmm. And they just know each other real well. Yeah. And they probably have a older brother, little brother dynamic. Because the younger brother, quote unquote, in this scene is singing 
annoyingly at Justin, who was like, stop, don't do it, don't do it. And the scene cuts as he's like, yeah, like yelling. (laughs) (laughs) That was so funny. Because I've done stuff like that to Natalie when we drive places. Nice. Yeah, just being silly, you know. I I think you're right, Todd. They have a really good, like, brother dynamic. What I think they had a problem with is coming off as socially awkward as, like, the things they were telling each other. Because they seem so well-adjusted in their, like, interactions with each other that I had a hard time believing that, like, oh, girls would not like me. Because they they both were, like, pretty charming and, like, well-spoken. I I will counter this for you. Charming and well-spoken doesn't account for the fact that they were raised as the two children the only people their own age for a decade in a cult that that will drastically impact your interpersonal skills they don't know how to flirt and they have no money and they have no no money money. and they have no money so aaron talks about that in his deprogramming session he's talking about how like they like actually met some girls one day and like wanted to go take them out and then justin just blurts out that they're they are escaped from a ufo death cult and the girls bailed like because they don't know how to interact with girls their own age and the movie really goes to pretty great lengths to show that they don't really have any friends either because I think they're finding it difficult to relate to friends also and the reason they relate so well with each other is they've been through the same thing they know they don't have to get over the hurdle of I grew up in a cult to each other yeah it's a problem with a lot of people who escape controlling religious organizations that it becomes a thing that they have to explain to people and it makes it difficult to connect with people that weren't also in the organization which is why survivors groups are so important yeah that that's how a lot of people meet because they don't have to explain it to people at a certain point sometimes when people get out they are comfortable enough to make jokes about it yeah tragedy plus time equals comedy page exactly so, yeah, yeah. Right. so you know if somebody is fresh out rough in, yeah. in the case of these characters they've been out for 10 years is what the movie establishes but those 10 years were their teenage years. So that I think that's a very different scenario. I do think they'd be willing to make fun of it. They seem to be comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. I certainly think they're comfortable making fun of it with each other. But that is yeah. different than making fun of it with other yeah. people, right? Because they shared yeah. that experience and it is their story. And I mean, I'm like, this was my family. Like, we'll make jokes that we would never make to somebody else about stuff that has happened to us because we were there and supported each other through it. Anyway, as they're driving down the road, they pass a memorial to their mom. Yeah. And it looks untouched. Which is cool when you're looking at like the painting that they drew for their mom and put it them. It's like a memorial for the crash site, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, this looks like the day we left it here. Right? When I first watched it, I was like, oh, I guess it's because it's like a dry, arid climate. Like, I have no idea why we do that. And then you think back on that when you realize what's happening at the cult. You're like, oh, shit. It, no, no time has passed right there. And because one of those. It's a way marker is what I call it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah one of those markers. like mud way markers is like right next to it. Yeah. Or a, a waypoint, a way marker. Yeah. It's, it's a staff that no one can actually describe what they are, which I think is really interesting. They get three or four different answers throughout the movie, but it looks like kind of a geological, almost like a fence post. To me, it always looks like, like, have you seen where there's like a small volcanic eruption and then it solidifies because the air is cold enough? Yeah. That's always... Regardless, it's a very organic looking thing. But that's how they explain it, Paige. They were like, it's a volcanic yeah. eruption that uh, weathered and eroded and whatever. That's what that is. Right. And and the thing that they neglect to 
understand about them is that they change and grow yeah. throughout the movie. As they get closer and closer to the loop recycling, they get taller. So they pass the memorial and the way, the first waypoint. And as they walk along the road, they look up and they see birds flying in a spiral. They look both ways and the birds have shifted sides. Yeah, it's really cool. But I mean, again, really cool. that is the entity looking down on them. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, good, good, welcome home, <laughs> boys. Here. Yeah, yes. Exactly. <laughs> they get into the car and they drive the rest of the way to the camp. And we do get an angle up to the sky as they're driving. This is where we get that drone shot that where it's like yes. following the car from the entity's perspective. I thought that was very cool. Yeah. It's a cool shot. It's a cool shot. It's meant to echo the shot from The Shining. Yeah. That's a helicopter shot. Yeah. <laughs> the Shining shot was much more expensive. <laughs> So much. I mean, I have an $800 drone we could do that with right now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they pass a creepy smiling guy at the entrance and Justin basically says, sure, not a cult at all. (laughs) Like creepy smiling dude. Well, and he's dressed like a Mormon. (laughs) Yeah, he is dressed like a Mormon. Uh, No one else is, though. He's the only one. So they pass the fire pit that we've seen in the video earlier and they pull up to the cabins. They get out of the car and everything seems pretty normal. Yeah. And they're greeted by the roommate from Remember Me. Oh, my God. Ah! Oh, my God. It is him. <laughs> this is the roommate from Remember Me. And it drove me nuts the entire time we watched Remember Me because I was like, where have I seen this guy before? Oh my. And it's this where he's great. He's so good. He in is this. good in this. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, the timing kind of fits that he like ran off and joined the cult after After Remember Me. (laughs) It could be the same character. I guess it could be. Yeah, that is now canon. That is now (laughs) canon. Um, But he comes up and gives Aaron a hug and Justin a handshake. That's very important to note. Everyone loves Aaron. People are not as comfortable with Justin and we will find out why later in the movie. Oh, yeah. They have very good reason to not like Justin at all. Mm-hmm. But they ask, like, why are you here? And they were like, well, we just thought we'd visit while you're here. And then the Hal is his name. He's not the cult leader, but the movie kind of frames him that way a little bit. He's not the cult leader in so much as that a lot of cults say they don't have a leader, but they fully have a leader. Hal is that leader. Exactly. Yeah. And Hal responds to this in a way that, like, if you're watching the movie a second time, you pick up on. But the first time, you probably don't. I thought back on it after watching. I was like, oh, he says, yeah, we're always here because he's fully trapped there. They're fully trapped there. Yeah. Uh, Just thought we'd visit while you're here. We're always here. Yeah. Bro, you can literally come at any point ever and we'll be here. And we'll be here. Welcome to hell, motherfucker. (laughs) Or purgatory. This is one where they're actually in purgatory. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, John. Oh, my God. This movie is not purgatory, though, Paige. (laughs) Well, it it kind of is because they can't escape. Yeah, but purgatory is not indefinite. That's true. That's true, I guess. Eventually you go one way or the other. Right. There's like a hybrid purgatory belief where because people believe that the end of the world is coming and that in order to be saved, you needed to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But what happens to the people that lived before Jesus? There's a belief that the people that lived before him who were loyal to God are waiting for the day of his return in kind of a purgatory situation 
But in that situation, a day is unto a thousand years, and so it might not feel like any long wait to them. But that's a really complicated doctrinal thing that we can't get into right now. And the cult I grew up in, for those people that did not have a chance to accept God as their Lord and Savior, they do baptisms for the dead. And then those people get to decide whether or not they, you know, the dead people get to decide whether or not they choose God as their Lord and Savior and then get to go into heaven. Wait, how? afterward or is this a thing people were doing on earth during i mean they still this cult still does this so if you died before you were baptized in this right, cult, right, right. or were just like not a believer of this religion but you have a family member or someone who wants you to be a mormon afterlife they may baptize someone in proxy for you and then you get to decide in Wherever you go after this, whether you want to accept the Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, as your Lord and Savior, and then you get to go into heaven. That's wild. Yep. It's a cult. That's like being like waterboarded. Like say like you're in hell for like 200 years and all of a sudden you like wake up and you get splashed with water in your face. You're like, do you want to join us or not? And you're like, okay, fine. Yeah, but like, okay. But Mikey, in that situation, you're staring God in the face and he won't let you in the pearly gates of heaven until someone on earth <laughs> takes a dunk in a swimming pool as a proxy baptism for you. And then you get to decide who's going to be looking at the pearly gates and be like, you know what? I'm good. I don't believe in all of this. I'm out. Like, no one's going to do this. That's ridiculous. I have a podcast to go tape in hell, but then I'll come right back. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> so they invite them in to have food, and we get a close-up of bugs eating each other on the ground. Yeah. So they sit down in the dining hall to have food, which is where we meet Tim, who makes beer. Yeah. And we meet Shane and Anna. Well, and can I say this about Tim really quick? Tim looks like yeah. he was born in the Civil War time period. Yes. He sort mm -hmm. of dresses older, if that makes sense. Not like he mm -hmm. dresses like an old man. He's still a younger dude, but he dresses like he was born in the 1850s. Well, the thing that I that I have like a headcanon about Tim, because Tim does not seem to fit in with everyone else. Tim does seem to be out of time. And we do encounter other people in other portions of this area that yeah. are from the time that Tim appears to be from. Yeah. Which makes me think that Tim is the first person to discover this loop and the campers happen upon it on accident and they all end up trapped there together. Yeah. I mean, that's a good little brain cannon theory, I think. Yeah. It doesn't fully explore it, but to me that makes the most sense. Yeah. But so we meet Tim, Shane, and Anna. And one of the things that Aaron and Justin kind of comment on is that no one looks like they've aged. They all look exactly the same as when they left. And we do meet Lizzie, who's new, um, who reveals that she escaped from a mental health facility, wandered out, and stayed with a methed out, basically gun nut tweaker in the woods, and then made her way here. That's important to note that gun nut tweaker is an important factor in this film. Yeah, we meet him but later. Also, the prequel to this film. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I'll talk about it when we get there. Cool, cool, but, cool. So. They also introduce the guy who was smiling at the front. That's Dave. And they have kind of a really interesting conversation about how they all have like their own thing and they're all working to master whatever it is they have. Yeah, and the one million, million hours. hours of practice. Right. Yeah. And it seems like Aaron and Anna maybe have a little bit of a thing 
we cut to the boys are in their bunks later and they're kind of talking about Anna and and everything that they kind of saw at dinner and this is where Justin says they're all 20 years older than you they're in their mid 40s almost 50s they just look young and Aaron is like yeah because they take care of themselves and don't eat garbage right we know later that that's not why it is but this is where they find the first post-it note that says, please be quiet. Yeah. And Justin says, what are you going to take a nap? And Aaron's like, yeah, I'm tired. I'm gonna take a nap. Justin like goes for a run. He's like going to go yeah. exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as he runs through the camp, you can kind of see in the background that they have people doing all kinds of things at an exceptional level. So like they're one of the most notable ones is there's two people who are archers and they fire at the same time yeah. and both hit bullseyes. Yeah. Um, we pass people working on beer and harvesting vegetables and he passes a way marker and he sees the guy walking from before the guy who walked past their car and ignored them and he tries to say hi but the guy ignores him again we cut to later that night at the campfire and we do hear again house of the rising sun in the background but it is a recording of them doing it but this is where we see shane working on magic tricks oh yeah tell me more about shane Oh, the magic tricks. I mean, he's he's cute. Of course he is, Paige. To you, anyone who can do slide of hand, anyone who can make a ball disappear and then drop into your hand, you're super into. How did she walk into this joke? There was no way to avoid it, Mikey. There was no way to avoid it. And he's not a bad looking guy. So whatever. Yeah. In Paige's mind, if you're a male and you can Mm. like do anything slide of hand, you can't get it. Yeah, he can make those panties disappear. <laughs> I've been working on sexual magic jokes for weeks now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk sex magic, that's a different kind of cult show. Yeah, but like, <laughs> we should talk about it. You want to get into Thalema right now? Because we can get into Thalema right Speaking now. Speaking of L. Ron Hubbard, like, yeah, I mean, that's what he did yeah, before Scientology with Jack Parsons. Jack Parsons, who I'd, I'd like to show you uh, a photo of Jack Parsons to see if he meets the... All of the photos page shows look alike. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him, but I know for a fact he's rich. He's into sex magic. Yeah. The dude knows how to work a rocket. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he he's a scary dude. He was into some weird shit. Oh, Paige. Oh, that's totally That is 100% Paige. your type. Oh, my God. Like a lumberjack Houdini just like right <laughs> up in there. <laughs> Uh, there's no way you would not have been about that jp life anyway so hal asks justin to come back to his cabin he wants to show him something meanwhile aaron takes a look at lizzie's drawings by the fire and back in hal's cabin they test a small batch beer and they talk about basically what hal has been working on mastering and it's a physics equation And Justin asks, what does it solve? And Hal says, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And what we'll find out later is that Hal has been trying to find a way to get them out. Yeah, I feel like Hal, ever since they've been stuck in this loop, thinks that math is the answer. So that's what he's putting his, to quote them, Mm -hmm. one million hours into. He's going to become a master at math so he can mathematically get them out of this. (laughs) Nailed it. Math's never the answer. No. Meth sometimes. Meth never. Back at the campfire, Aaron is talking to Anna, and we find out that she is basically the clothing designer for the entire camp. So she finds stuff from thrift stores and makes things from scratch, and she tells him 
I used to make all of your clothes. Do you remember? And he's like, "Eh, it's been a long time. And so she offers to show him some of her new designs back at her cabin. Yeah, she does. Yeah. You want to see my curvy designs? (laughs) Back at Hal's cabin, Hal says to Justin, everything you did ranges from I don't care to all is forgiven. I just want to know why you would come back now. And which basically lets us know that Justin did something to hurt them. We don't know what it is yet. And he says, well, the video that you sent where you guys are talking about the end and we thought you guys were going to kill yourselves. And Hal says, hey, there's never been a suicide here that I'm aware of. Yeah. Nothing here ends, which, again, is a little Easter egg to what happens later. Yeah. And he continues saying. What happens here is that people live long and healthy lives, which allows them to grow to be the people they want to be. There's something bigger than us out there. And now that you're old enough to understand, it'll become evident. Yeah. In other words, what happens in Endless stays in Endless. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Endless is the ultimate fight club. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Camp Arcadia, I think, is the name of where they're actually at. It is, yeah. Yeah. I know. This was definitely the worst episode of Salute Your Shorts I've ever seen. (laughs) Back in Anna's cabin. Oh, yeah. She's showing Aaron her book of designs, and she asks, well, what do you guys do now? And he says, well, we clean. And she says, well, didn't you fish as a kid? And he's like, I guess, but I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah. And he asks her, do you get paid for this? Like the designing? And she's like, yeah. I mean, the money comes from the beer, but we all get paid for everything we do. And he says, so you never have to leave? And she just goes, sure. <laughs> like, never have to leave. Right. But she clearly leaves because she's talking about going to thrift stores and stuff. And they Online. sell beer. They never leave. They load the beer onto trucks that other people pick up. Okay. Oh. So they can have contact with the outside world? Yeah. I mean, that's how Justin and Aaron get there. I, I mean, I guess that's there, true, but the entity sent that package. The Well, the entity sent the package to Justin and Aaron, right. but their other people can contact them because that's how the other girl gets there, too. Their loop is 10 years. Wait, whose loop is 10 years? The camp's loop is 10 years. Is that what it is? Okay. They talk about it later, yeah. Okay, so I never figured out the loop. That, so that's what made me feel weird because I was like, how how many days is this loop? That loop is 10 years. And they're all different. So, like, it makes sense that theirs might be longer. It's also the largest loop. They have, like, the largest dome and their loop is 10 years. Yeah. So that's, like, if you're going to get stuck there, that's, like, the area you want to go. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to get stuck anywhere. You could live forever. Well, not exactly. Because it does kill you every 10 years. Yeah, but you still have the memories from the last loop. Yeah, but... You know, it's incredibly painful. Like, it does tell you. Like, the the stuff we learn about it makes it seem pretty hellish. I'd rather escape and die of old age, personally. What about you, Todd? Man, it would be hard to say no to that. But, I mean, you're also trapped at that location, so absolutely not. No. Well, how much do you love summer camp, is all I'm saying? Not a lot. I understand the allure of it because you never get old. You never really get sick. Everything's kind of provided for you. Yeah, You live in kind of an, I guess, ideal world, but I think what we explore with everyone here is that everyone's tired a bit. For some people, is it preferable? Maybe, but like there is a downside. And 10 years is probably, I would say, the most beneficial loop. If you had to pick one, that's the one you pick. But I don't want to live forever. I think that is hellish. I want to be a vampire. I don't want to be a vampire. I just want to live forever. 
I, I don't want to live forever. Vampire could be cool because I could live a long time, but you could end it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's the best of both worlds. But a vampire that could still eat food. I'm down with eating people. <laughs> don't don't clip that and save that forever. No, I mean, you have to eat people to live, but I also want, like, hash browns. I want Portrait of Dorian Gray. Yeah, so I love Oscar Wilde. Now you're talking my language. Where I can do... Whatever. I could eat as much pizza as I want. I could kill people. I could do whatever. And the painting takes the blame. And I am forever young until I choose to stab that painting. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that's my ideal version. Thank you for going down that stupid, stupid rabbit hole with me. Yeah, everyone. I mean, it's, it's a question that you kind of have to answer with this movie. Anyway, they come back to the campfire where Shane is doing magic tricks. Yes, here we go, Paige. He he wants to make his balls disappear, Paige. <laughs> that's not how sex works, Mikey. You got to put the balls in. I think it's called the dog in the bathtub. It's called two <laughs> dogs in a bathtub. Yeah. You're correct, but yeah. it's not. No, thank you. Guys, I want you to right now stop whatever you're doing. Get your mother and make her Google no. two no. dogs in a bathtub and then just image search it. Alexa, what is two dogs in a bathtub? <laughs> uh, there, okay. There is a gentleman that has been able to put his own testicles into his own anus really see the things you can do if you're on an endless loop <laughs> if you have a million, million hours, hours ball play you can stretch that sack out he, he's a young dude and it is like his porn specialty and the only reason i know is because tom segura featured him on a podcast the only reason you know Paige, is because you have some specific fetishes <laughs> no if you think i didn't google it to see it after hearing about it you don't know me at all but you know what i'm gonna tell you it's not as jarring as you'd think <laughs> Paige googled it and was like oh i think this may have awoken something dark inside no, me." no no I, I googled it and was fully ready to be horrified and then i was like oh oh okay oh it's just a thursday night okay yeah cool 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 <laughs> cool, 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 yeah, cool, yeah, cool yeah 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 i gotcha anyway Shane's at the campfire putting his own balls into his own anus. And, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, he's doing card tricks. And Justin is like, I think I see what you're doing. I think I know what card it is. And he picks one. Shane does the trick and fully catches that guy's card. It catches Justin's card. Yeah. It is the correct card. And Justin lies to him and says that it's not the right. card. Yeah. But the guy's like, it, it is. I've been doing this it a is. million hours. I know mm -hmm. what I'm doing. You want to see where I can put my balls? <laughs> uh! We're about to find out. Yep. Uh, he he <laughs> asks, Justin asks if he's seen Aaron and Shane says, yeah, he's in Anna's cabin. And he says, are you all right with that? And he says, well, why wouldn't I be? And when I think about it now, I'm like, yeah, because after a while you'd be like, no, honestly, sleep with whoever. We have a million hours of this. Yeah, <laughs> like, there's surprisingly not a lot of sex in this endless time loop. I think there is. We're just not seeing it. Yeah, we just don't see it. Okay. It's a cult, Mikey. There's yeah. a lot of sex going on. I don't know if you know, but God told me that I have to sleep with all your wives. <laughs> Why is that the only thing that God tells people? <laughs> God has a very specific fetish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's because uh. no one, God doesn't tell anyone that. People are just liars. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Exactly, Paige. Shane says, well, do you want to see another trick? Just humor me. It's one I'm working on. And he takes out a baseball and he tosses, 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 and then tosses it up out of frame. And then he sits there calmly. Yeah. He gets a little help from the man upstairs, Paige. Yep. 
we cut to a shot from above where the ball is hovering in midair. Or actually, I think we don't see that till later. We get a shot from above where they're just sitting there. Yeah. Uh, but it's been too long for the ball to not have fallen. Uh, no, see, uh, Paige, you're wrong. Anything is possible with magic. <laughs> I'm starting to understand more about Mikey. Mikey's the kind of guy that fully believes magic is real. When he saw Lord of the Rings, he was like, Man, I can't believe this happened in Europe in the BC times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how, you know, King Arthur and his knights or whatever. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> hey, Mikey, I hear Mordor was in Eastern Europe somewhere. I'm pretty sure Mordor is in Salt Lake City. <laughs> <laughs> or Independence, Missouri. Oh, shit, Paige. You know your stuff, my friend. That was the Garden of Eden, not Mordor. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, he reaches out to Justin. He pulls his hand out and kind of arranges it. So Justin's holding his hand out. <laughs> I do like how when he touches Justin, Justin's like, get off me. Yeah, like, like, what? Don't touch me. And after what feels like forever, the ball falls and he catches it. Yeah. Justin catches it. Justin catches yeah. it. So as far as we know, that ball has been in the air for a full minute, but he didn't throw it that high. You couldn't throw it that high. You couldn't yeah. throw it that high. And I think what makes everything worse is that he didn't even say ta-da or anything. <laughs> I know. He just sits there smug like, yeah, bitch. Like a what? real Chris Angel douchebag. Yeah, yeah. I'm off to go uh, serve out my 10-year loop in this glass box. Excuse me. <laughs> Bye. And Paige has never been more sexually aroused in her life. No, I don't want any of this. Please saw me in half. Put me out of my misery. <laughs> what are you, that girl Mikey was with last week? <laughs> That was last week. That was many years ago. I know, but it was last week's episode, Mikey. Oh. <laughs> so as he's holding the baseball, trying to figure out what has happened, the rest of the camp comes out for what they call the struggle. The struggle. Yeah, I love this. <laughs> Which totally sounds like a camp thing that you hear yeah. at Camp Autosama. We're going to do the struggle tonight. Uh, that's what we call it when all the kids are at the mess hall and we have the cabins to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as long as it's uh, a consensual struggle, I'm okay with it. But calling it the struggle makes it sound like it might not be consensual and I'm not comfortable with that, Paige. I don't know. We got ropes, we got a will, and we got a way. <laughs> Here's the movie that I <laughs> want. Here's my headcanon. <laughs> okay. For Friday the 13th. I'm sorry, what? It's in a loop. <laughs> And that's why Jason keeps coming back. Uh, yeah, and he keeps. <laughs> oh my God, Paige is standing up. She is. She's done. She can't handle the truth of what Mikey just laid at our feet right here. Jason is stuck in a loop yeah. at Camp Crystal Lake. I love it. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> Paige, let's write this movie immediately. Yes, I have a drone. We could shoot it on a budget. Cut this out of the episode so we can write it. <laughs> <laughs> like he's in a 15 year loop and he just murders people that come he comes in contact with but no one gets in the loop with him until now so everyone gathers around for the struggle and this is where lizzie gives us some information about dave although we never get actual information about dave there's just rumors about dave where he's the smiling guy and she says that he fell off a building or self-trepanation which is where you would drill a hole in your head to essentially lobotomize yourself, and he drilled too far. Yeah, you don't drill into your head. That's not a good call. No. So Hal 
gives a speech about the struggle. Yeah. And he pulls on a rope while doing it. Now, to describe this, if you haven't seen the movie, they have a big, large rope going out into the dark of the forest. And Justin thinks that it's just Dave on a ladder um, because as he pulls the rope while he's giving his speech, the rope seems to angle upward until it appears to be coming straight from the sky. Yeah. It's not straight up and down, though. It's like at an angle. Yeah, it's like a 45-degree right. angle. Yeah. yeah. And as Hal is pulling on it, he says this represents the struggle with passion, with growth, the struggle against a higher power. And as he says higher power, the rope rises to where it is clearly not held by someone on a ladder. Yeah. It's way too high. It's way too high. And he says all of which we overcome with perseverance and he lets the rope drop and he says who's next Aaron steps up to go next he struggles against the rope it jerks him forward basically crashing him onto the ground yeah he stands up to go again he ties a knot and loops it around himself and runs it pulls him back but he eventually pulls the rope down and he is basically the first man to use a fishing knot in the struggle. And wins. And I think it's interesting that they sometimes win, where it truly is a game that the entity is playing with them. I, I think it's letting them win. I, I don't think they actually overpower it, but I think it's a really interesting fixture in the movie. Justin goes next and picks up the rope, and it immediately jerks him across the ground, cutting his hand. Yeah. And as he gets back up, he looks up to see that Dave is in the crowd and clearly not holding the rope. Yeah. Just smiling back at him. Yep. Yeah. And we get a close up of Lizzie's drawing featuring what essentially is a sky monster. Yeah. As she then cleans up his hands inside. So, okay, let's talk about the entity. Okay. Is his motivation just to like fuck with people because he's bored? I think his motivation is the same motivation that people have when they watch reality TV. I would agree. I think yeah. that's a very, very compact explanation of what's going on here is that he's creating his own TV channel. Yeah. I think I want to be the entity. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the best version yeah. of this, I think. And just seeing creepy tape out to people I want to lure in and be like, hey, don't you want to come visit? And I'll be like, I know. I'm going to totally mess with them. Watch this ball disappear. <laughs> so as Lizzie is cleaning up Justin's hands, she tells him a little bit more about the gun nut tweaker in the woods. Yeah. Then Hal comes in is basically like, hey, thanks for being a good sport. It's, you know, it's a metaphor. It's tradition. It, you know, helps us wrestle with our lives and whatever. And Justin kind of brushes him off and walks outside to Aaron and Aaron asks, can we stay for another day? Yeah. Just through tomorrow night. Hal said we could hang out and shoot guns. And Justin is like, I really don't want to do that. And and Aaron is like, it doesn't cost anything. So they agree to stay one more day. And they look up to Tim, who's standing by what I call Tim's shack. But it's got these big locks on it. Yeah. And they're like, hey, Tim, what's up there? Uh, it's just brewing equipment or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Please yeah, don't look equipment. at the giant lock on the door. <laughs> It's like comically big. That's what. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, like it a, is. Like a magician's prop. <laughs> it honestly is sort of like a magician's prop, though, Mike. <laughs> you once no, again true. sort of backed into the truth by making a joke. <laughs> yes. Um, but what Justin <laughs> says is like, sure, it's brewing equipment till the FBI shows up, implying that it's probably full of guns is what he thinks. Oh, I thought drugs. But yeah, guns also make sense, too. So they get back to their cabin and they see another post-it note saying to be quiet. So 
they talk as they're laying there and he's asking about what happened with Anna and Aaron's like, well, nothing, maybe I, like maybe she likes me. Maybe she's always liked me. And Justin is like, well, she knew you as a kid. So that's kind of creepy. And maybe she's a pedophile. And he's like, yeah. women can't be pedophiles. And Justin's like, they fully Ooh, can. Bad take. Ooh, yeah. Bad. <laughs> right. But Justin is like, they fully can. <laughs> Like, yeah, <laughs> they absolutely can. I really love how how Justin's like, oh, are you redefining what a pedophile is? <laughs> right, right. Okay, so but if you're trapped in a time loop and a person you knew as a child comes back and is trapped in the loop as an adult, like you can sleep with them. That's like free game. I mean, he is of age now. Yes. Right. I It would still weird me out. Yeah. Okay, well, how long, Paige, would they have to be in the time loop with you before you'd sleep with them? I went back to my mom's high school. My mom teaches at a high school. Oh, okay. The same high school I went to. And I had graduated, so I was a few years out. And I came back and ran into a very attractive student. And I was just like, teenager, don't care. But like, okay. Right, but he walked up to you and was like, hey, is this your card? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, but he, he ran up to me and was just like, oh my God, Paige, it's so good to see you. And I realized that it was someone that I had known as like a child child and I was just old. Yeah. Uh, and that was a very disconcerting feeling. It made me feel very uncomfortable. So I don't think I'd be able to sleep with someone that I knew as a child that suddenly grew up and then was of age. But then how many years in a time loop, though, would you have to know them as an adult before then you would sleep with them? Like 100 years? 10 years? No, probably not that long. I would say probably by the end of the 20 minutes. loop, I'd come around. 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they say after a million hours of doing someone, you become a master at it. I, I think for me, I would just need to get to know them as an adult. Yeah. To have that kind of supersede the memory of knowing them as a child, if that makes sense. Where like I completely understand. I need to know the person they are now, so I'm not associating with it with the person they were when they were a child. Right. Like Bella and what's his face? Bella and Edward. Well, Edward never knew Bella as a child. That's the difference. Yeah, no, he totally met her as a child. Yeah, uh, she was in high school when they met Paige. <laughs> well, okay, okay. The very definition <laughs> of a child when fair. they met. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. That's Remember fair. when you went to the high school and that kid went by? But like yeah. instead of like being what you did, he just like watched her sleep for the rest of the time. <laughs> I do right, love right, right. that Paige just described Twilight in her own personal story. Like she described what happens in Twilight and how it was weird and then tried to defend Edward. No, I mean, I came back to that high school as an adult knowing I was fully an adult and then was surprised to see someone that I knew as a child fully grown up. Right. But my immediate reaction was, Is oh, that a no. rabbit in his head or is he just happy to see me? <laughs> oh god no it was did you imprint on him no <laughs> don't give it away mikey i i did not and it was troubling to me that i had just body chemistry as a straight person been like oh that's a good looking oh no like yeah i honestly had been wondering how you met jake so this is like super fascinating <laughs> So we cut to drone shots across the landscape the next day as they're out shooting Hal's guns. And again, Aaron is like, I don't remember this being bad. I don't know why you think Hal was angry at you. I can't even picture him being angry. And Justin's like, yeah, well, you were young and you don't remember. And he shoots and it looks like the bullet hits an invisible wall. Like a barrier. Yeah. 
Yeah. He even like digs the bullet out. It was like, what caused this? Right. Which cuts to they're out fishing and he's holding the bullet and he's like, what do you think it hit? And Aaron is like, no, you're just bad at shooting. Yeah, but being um, bad at shooting does not do that. Right. Although, I mean, it could have just hit like a rock out there in the middle of nowhere and bounced back, you know. Right. We cut to he goes on a run through the forest and tries waving at that guy who walks past him every time. And the guy ignores him again. Yeah. But he does find a discarded running shoe. He keeps running and he comes upon a shipping container in the forest and feels a ripple across the ground. The sun seems to blink on and off and he finds a circle of Polaroids around him in the dirt. The ground ripples again. He walks towards the shipping container, but the world seems to swim and ripple around him. And we find ourselves outside a tent. Yeah. With a clock ticking on the outside. So some of these effects are insane for the budget they had. Yeah. Yeah. It's so well done for the budget it had. Yeah. Well, and in truth, I'm saying that I honestly do not know the exact budget. I even, like, searched for it. Like, I was trying to find it. Everywhere I saw, it just said ultra low budget. Yeah. Oh. So, we cut inside to the dining hall where they're having the weirdest karaoke night ever. Because they're <laughs> only allowed to sing one song badly over and over again. Pretty much. Uh, this is also where we find another please be quiet post-it note. Yeah. And Justin pulls Hal outside and gives him the Polaroid he found on his run. Yeah, and the Polaroid, the picture is of like a buoy in the water. Yes, yeah. And Hal basically says, well, you were kids when you were here previously, and you couldn't really interact with the entity the way that we did. And so now that you're an adult and you can, it's going to be more apparent to you. And... He asks Justin, like, you've never experienced anything like this before. And Justin says, well, I remember some things as a kid. And now as an adult, I want you to tell me what it is and what's happening. And Hal is basically like, hey, dude, I don't know. There's no leader here. I just talk the most. He's basically the leader. Yeah, I mean, but... he's yeah, he's fully the leader. Yeah, he needs to take some ownership of that. Yeah, Hal. But he basically says, I don't have answers. None of us do. And if you want to find out what runs all this, you have to go and find it. And he points up into the sky to show him that there's two moons. And he refers to it as atmospheric mirroring. And he says that two moons brings the truth, three brings the ascension. And then he basically says that the equation is what it represents to me, but I haven't finished it, so I don't know. And he tells him to stay one more day and go out to the buoy, dive down and pull up what you find and you'll have your answers. A higher power or whatever it is, and maybe that'll be a weight off of your shoulders. And if you like having that weight off your shoulders, then maybe you can stay as long as you like even past the third moon. Yeah, it's very culty. Like, that's what a cult leader would say about joining the cult. Yeah, absolutely. Here's the thing. They are still a cult. They're just not recruiting and they're not pressuring people to stay because they know the reality. Yeah. But, like, if you want to stay, you're welcome to stay. Yeah. So, Aaron does karaoke where he sings the same song because <laughs> it's the one that's in the public domain. Yeah. He ends up smoking 
what we will find out later is some sort of drug with Anna. It's called grooming, Paige. It's <laughs> called grooming. Yeah. yeah, she blows it into his mouth. It's it's very intimate. Yes. And they go for a walk. Justin walks the other direction past Lizzie's art where she's drawn the gun nut tweaker guy. Uh, Justin walks off as Aaron and Anna walk out towards the woods where they see the same quote unquote atmospheric mirroring or she calls it like a heat blur. Yeah. But it looks like there's a mirrored wall in the forest. So they're seeing the same valley twice. And this is also where we see the way markers. And Anna says that they are around the camp in a perfect circle. And it's why we use the circle emblem. And she points to like a little glass marker, very similar to the one that they have on their mother's grave. Yeah. He says, this is where you sent me that video. And she says, I didn't send any videos. And he's like, of course you did. And she says, well, I made videos, but we never sent them. We we said we wouldn't share things like that after what your brother did. <laughs> and then she says, I'm having a nice time. I'm glad you're back. But let's not talk about that. Yeah. And they almost hold hands. But that's like first base. Yeah. But if she's willing to make a tape, Mikey, you can't be sharing it with everybody. Well, she doesn't have to make a tape. The entity will make the tape. Yeah, the entity is making the tape. Yeah, you're going to get way better angles. <laughs> yeah. So Justin, on his walk in the opposite direction, runs into a woman crying. And she's basically saying, I can't sleep with everyone up like this. I leave notes for people to keep quiet, but nobody does. And this is where the post-it notes have been coming from. And he asks her, like, oh, you didn't like the parties? And she's like, I did, but after a while, like, I, I got to sleep. And he's like, well, why don't you leave? And she says it's a weird story and shares that she's married. And her husband disappeared around here. And she came out looking for him and got kind of lost. And Hal found her and said that he would help her find her husband, but it would take some time. And... We don't fully know how long she's been there. Uh, we do know that her son is with her parents and she decides to go back to bed, but it was nice meeting you. Now, she is one of the few questions I have about this movie. Me too, because it seems like she's in a different loop than the people in the camp, although she's fully in the camp. I don't know that she's in a loop. Interesting. Oh, you think she got trapped? Well, no, if, if the loop is 10 years, she might not have been there long enough for the yes. loop to start again. So she might be able to escape, but is unwilling to because she has not yet found her husband. Wait, but I thought the loop was restarting at the end. That's what they're escaping from. It is. It, it is. And she rides away on a bicycle. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. So it's very possible that they warned her and she escapes the loop. Yeah. But what we will find out is that her husband is in one of the other loops and she would be able to get to him potentially, but not stay. She could have like conjugal visits, but she couldn't like hang. If she stayed, she'd be trapped in that loop. Right. So I think that's why it appears that Hal has kept that knowledge from her. Because they know where her husband is. He's with the gun nut tweaker. Yeah. So that's kind of my question is, is she in a loop? If not, why have they not told her where her husband is and what is going to happen with her story, understanding that her husband cannot escape his loop? Yeah, that's super interesting. I honestly like I read it as that she was on a different loop, but I like it better that she is also able to escape because she is in the camp that has a 10 year loop cycle 
and she has not stayed there past it, its reset, right? Right. Anyway, we cut to the next day where Justin and Aaron are in the boat and they're both talking about kind of the experiences they had the night before, seeing the double moons, seeing the mirroring effect. And Aaron is like, can we stay permanently? We'd be taken care of and we'd do our own thing and something would be watching out for us. And Justin is like... I don't know, because the girl I encountered last night seemed pretty fucking scared and yeah. sad. And I don't think that the happiness that we're seeing is everything. I think there's something yeah. else going on here. Yeah. I mean, like most cults, it looks like to the just on the very surface level, like everything's great. Yeah. So we cut to he spots the buoy as they're rowing. So they kind of angle their boat towards it and he dives down to find out what's at that buoy. And he gets down there and finds a tackle box. And there's something down there. We don't know what it is, but he gets up to the boat in time and they row away. And as the camera pulls upward, the water below them looks like a Rorschach test. Yeah. It honestly yeah. looks like a big sort of stingray type thing, I guess. But it's like way too big. Like it's around their whole boat. It's almost the whole lake. Yeah. Yeah, almost. It, it's yeah. almost the whole lake. I'm about 100% sure that they just layer a Rorschach test over the footage. And that's what it is. And then mask out them in the boat. That that would be how you do that. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like, so much of this is stuff that I can do. I just never yeah. would have thought to do it. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> I, I think the reason it's a Rorschach test is because of all the mirroring that we see. And the reason that we're mm, seeing mirroring yeah. is because their world is essentially existing alongside the actual world outside the loop. So... They open the tackle box, it's full of rocks, and there's a wet DV tape at the bottom of the tackle box. Which has to be destroyed, right? Like, I don't think that'll work. Yes, I don't think it would work either, but it's also created by an entity, so like, who the fuck knows? That's true. If, <laughs> if they can teleport images onto a tape in a tackle box covered in rocks and placed at the bottom of a lake, right. they could probably make it still work. I see what you're saying. Like, that makes sense. You mean uh, it, it can loop time itself? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah oh, exactly. yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> so, yeah, you could probably figure out waterproof tape technology. My bad. Uh, <laughs> yes. We cut to them sitting at a picnic table, and Justin is basically like, we're leaving. <laughs> like, fuck this. <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. Yeah. We'll go. We'll say goodbyes, and then we'll leave. And Aaron reluctantly agrees. So they go back to say goodbye. They say that they're going to get back to work and Lizzie drew them a going away gift and Hal comes in and he's like, hey, do you mind if we get a little culty in here one last time? And they're like, <laughs> sure. And he reveals the tape that they found in the lake and they play it. And he says this is how it communicates with us with images. And what it is is a video of them pretending to be prophets like a reenactment. It's essentially a a tape from a reenactment that they participated in in all likelihood as part of like a um like a documentary or a news story on the group oh oh that's interesting because in my mind that was a future them like proselytizing then you got to think well they can't actually get out right right okay so yeah what you said makes a lot more sense uh yes. because in my mind i was like well then how are they proselytizing? Like, yeah. who are they talking to? And I'm, I, I explain that away because the entity can bring people there. So I, I thought they were just doing like Mormon cosplay, talking to someone who came to see them. This is what tells you how evil the entity is. Not only can he make tapes, 
He's got cable. And he <laughs> still has to fuck with people's lives. Now, what's really interesting is the person that they're talking to in the tape is the husband that is then caught in the other loop. Yeah. Which they'll refer back to later. Um, but this is why Hal says that it appears that the message is forgiveness for those lies because we will find out what happens in this next conversation where Hal and Justin and Aaron all kind of go outside to talk is that Justin, in order to get his brother out of the cult told the media that they were a ufo death cult and he thought they were going to commit suicide and that they were all castrated and at this point hal sets the record straight where he's like you know that's not true you know there's actually an entity here and we are kind of at its whim yeah and i still got my dick bro we also got our, our genitals yeah he then basically says like maybe you take crappy pictures because it takes pictures maybe you wanted to be the leader more definite answers you wanted to be the leader yeah. and then this is where we find out what happened to their childhood where he says i pulled both of you out of your mother's burning car and I gave you every opportunity to grow. And then you basically betrayed us. So now we have to work with other people outside to sell our beer because no one wants to buy beer from a cult. So we have to say it's for somebody else. And it's our whole livelihood. And you basically put the entire group here at risk. And they essentially tell Justin that he has to leave, but tell Aaron that he's welcome to stay. And Aaron decides to stay behind. Yeah. So Justin walks out to the car but Aaron left the dome light on and the battery is dead (laughs) of course he did (laughs) he walks out into the road and he sees the ground rippling again he walks out past the waypoints that have only gotten taller and more pronounced he sees a snake on the ground he turns and then the path he came down now leads to a small shack in the forest where we see the angry walking dude who keeps passing him and ignoring him. Yeah. So he walks to the shack and is like, hey, it's Justin from 10 years ago. I thought that was a super interesting way of introducing himself. Well, I think he at this point is like, everyone knows who I am. I'm the asshole that brought the cops here, basically. And he opens the door and he sees the guy hanging in the shack. And as he registers that the man is hanging... That same man somehow bursts through the front door of the shack behind him. I jumped. Yeah. Oh, did you? It's the one kind of jump scare in this movie, yeah. Interesting. So he has him sit down, careful around his bike, and (laughs) at this point, this angry man reveals that he does know Justin from 10 years ago. He told them it was a death cult, and he was trying to get him out of there then. I don't know why you came back, basically. Yeah. This is also where we find out that everyone is in loops. So this guy is kind of tasked with, and it's Carl is his name. Yeah. Carl is tasked with explaining the concept of loops to Justin. Yeah, I mean, he drops a lot of exposition here in this three-minute scene. Right. Yeah. And we find out that his loop is literally less than a day. Yeah, it's three hours, I think you said, right? It's three hours. It's insane. And he basically, that's the reason he's walking, is he tries to walk as far as he can get within his loop and he is limited in how far he can go but he also this is where we find out that the camp has a loop of 10 years now and he says you got to kill yourself before the restart or it'll do it for you and it's worse and this whole conversation you see him sitting by this like spool that he uses as a table and also hanging inside the the house Mm -hmm. that he just like hung himself in at this point carl also tells him 
that the camp lets the creature do it for them. They yeah. don't commit suicide. They let the creature take them. Which is apparently super painful. Super painful and awful. And he says it'll snatch you right out of your shoes. Yeah. Which I think we sort of see, right? We do see it. With the yeah. guy in the tent here in a bit. Yeah. We cut back to the camp where Hal is talking to Aaron and he's like, I feel terrible. I shouldn't have gone off on Justin like that. I just lost my temper. We know he's a good guy. It's just, this has been kind of tough. Last time I lost my temper on somebody, he died in September 11th and I've never really fully recovered from that. It's just been really rough. (laughs) (laughs) Never forget. So at this point, Tim and Hal go off to talk between the two of them. And Tim comes back over to Aaron and just says, don't do it if you don't want to. And Hal comes back and Aaron is like, is everything okay? And Hal just says, Tim worries a lot. And Aaron says, is there anything I need to worry about? And Hal says, nah. So we cut back to (laughs) Carl. And Carl says, you get used to it. The death by suicide option is what Carl says. And he basically says that he has died by suicide every few hours since 09. Oh, man. And he tells Justin that you only have a couple options. If you're inside the loop, when it resets, it'll take you and you're stuck there forever. And then every time the loop resets, it'll take you again unless you restart the loop first by dying by suicide. Yeah. That's kind of how we get the rules for how the loops work. I think this is a great time to have the discussion of how the loops okay, work. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, you had questions. I have answers. Yeah, this is when you ask the questions, Mikey. Well, the big question was how long the camp's loop was. So, I mean, that Ten you guys years. answered that. Yeah. yeah, you guys answered yeah. that for me. But, like, are there smaller loops inside the camp loop? Is that what's happening? No, each of them are their own independent loop of different But, but they can lengths. visit each other? No. No. The only people who can leave the loops are people who are not trapped by the, those loops by being reset within the loop. But wasn't the walking guy in the camp? No. They encounter him outside the camp when they're coming in and when Justin goes on runs outside the borders of the camp because Justin can leave the camp. Yeah, because he has not been trapped in a loop. Gotcha. And we do get a shot just a little bit after this, just a a few minutes later, where Justin's hiking through a valley and we see all the loops. Yes, I like that shot. But some of these loops reset every, like, minute, like right? One of them's, like, every three seconds. We we haven't gotten to that one, but it is a, I believe, a, a three to five second loop. It's so fast. That's the one that we're going to come up on later, which I think for me is the scariest loop. Oh, hell yeah. That is a haunting loop. Um, That's the smallest one that we see. We don't know if there are others that are smaller. Could he have gotten trapped in one of the smaller loops, the shorter loops? I think, yeah, he could have, but he just lucked out. And missed out on their resets. Yeah. Well, and I also think that you have to be within the borders for the reset. And so the question is, where are those borders? Is it every 10 years everyone resets as well as the camp? Okay. Every 10 years the camp resets. Right. And the other loops are other times. Right. So I guess when Aaron goes to the tent that's reset every three to five seconds. Which we haven't gotten to yet. Right. The only reason he doesn't get trapped in that loop is because he doesn't enter the tent and that loop is just real small. Yes, exactly. Which is the same thing with Carl's loop is also very small. And depending on the borders of your loop will depend on how far you can get. So like you cannot breach the borders of the loop, which is why. And we'll kind of see it a little bit later when Aaron leaves the camp. Anna can't follow him. Yeah. 
So that's kind of the rules that we're playing with is if you're stuck inside the loop, when it resets, you're stuck there forever. You can then die by suicide or wait for the next reset when it will kill you and reset the loop. You cannot leave the borders of that loop after. If you are not stuck inside the loop, so if you were not there for the last reset, that means you can come and go from any of these loops as you please as long as you are not there when it resets. If you enter a loop and then stay through the reset, you're stuck in that loop. Yeah, which is why the kids, or the two main characters, really, were able to leave. Because the crash happened probably towards the beginning of a loop. They lived there for five to seven, maybe even up to almost ten years, and then left right before the reset happened, probably because Hal was talking about something big was gonna about to happen, and that scared... Justin into being like we've got to leave so they left before the reset now they're coming back about 10 years later and it's about to reset again Mm -hmm. boom I think there's also headcanon their mother's car accident because there's like no cars on that road they're in the middle of nowhere and that car accident happens at the edge of a loop it made me wonder if they arrived at the time of the last reset and that is what crashed their mother's car. I mean, that makes sense because that would take about 10 years for the next reset. Right. Yeah. So timeologically, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Does that all make a lot more sense now, Mikey? Yeah. How do loops start? A loop starts when someone is like, you know what I want to watch again? Friends or 30 Rock or The Office <laughs> and then they go to Netflix or Peacock or whatever it's on now and start the loop again. So Carl basically tells him like hey you gotta A get out of my loop yeah, and B you can't be in the borders of the camp's loop when that resets and also because of the loops the forest will shift you around and he basically makes a deal with him where he's like I want you to suck my dick just kidding bring me a gun okay so if you say you owe me and then say suck my dick it's not a joke like that's that's not something you joke about it's not a good joke no it's It's not a good joke but also if it's life or death suck that dick but I mean here's okay so Mike I guess my question is was Carl like seeing if he was down like had Justin been like okay would Carl have been like sweet let's do this I think so same same page I think Carl's been a very lonely man yeah so he tosses his cigarette out of or past a waypoint oh man that shot was so cool the flick and then it goes through the ripple of the border and mm-hmm. then he stands up and just walks through it and then he's back in the shack that was so cool yeah yeah and and what that basically says is like it doesn't matter where he goes or if he tries to escape it puts him back in the shack yeah it's signifying that you cannot leave your border Mm -hmm. and so he basically tells him that he wants justin to go get him a gun from the gun nut tweaker and he draws out where the loops are his loop my loop which means that their loops were established after they already met. Yes. Yes. I love that this map is terrible. I think it's hilarious that yeah, he like just circles. gets like a crumpled up piece of paper, draws circles on it, crumples it back up and throws it at, at Justin. Right. And that Justin then finds them. Yes. In all fairness, Carl does give Justin a compass and say, follow this. Don't pay attention to what your eyes are seeing because they're lies. Just follow the compass and you'll be fine. Right. And he does. Now, 
this is also where we get like a little addendum from Carl because Carl's loop is only three hours. Right. And he basically says, it doesn't let me sleep. Yeah. I don't get tired, but it doesn't let me dream. It does it so my mind never leaves this place. And Justin just says, I'm sorry to hear that. I'll see you soon. And walks yeah. away. Because like, what do you say to that? Yeah. It's horrifying. So we cut to the camp the next morning where Aaron is sitting by the campfire. He stands up. There's a spiral in the sky. The Basically, the clouds and everything have formed like a circle. Yes. And photos rain down to the ground. And the photos are taken from above as if something was just looking at him from the sky. One of the photos is the shot that we just saw looking down on yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like literally cool. the shot before. It's very cool. It's Edward Entity. Mm -hmm. And we find out via Hal that he has a theory that it's made of impossible colors and maybe that's why we can't see it. And all we know is what it chooses to show us. And he basically picks up one of the other photos, which is a photo of a trailer. Yeah. And Aaron is like, why did it send me a photo of this trailer? And he says, that's probably where you're supposed to go. And that's probably where you should start looking to find Justin. That's probably why it gave you that photo. Yeah. And he tells him to get there, you have to go past cabin two and follow the trail for a long time. And he says, can you come with me? And Hal says, I can't come with you. I literally can't go with you. Yeah. Yeah. I can't leave. And he says, I really hope you make your own choice before the third moon is full. And he says, tell me what that means. And Hal doesn't. Yeah. He just says it would be like trying to explain an impossible color. So this is what makes me so mad, though, because Carl just explained it to yes. Justin in under three hours because that's as long as his yeah. loop is. So <laughs> Hal is right. just fully being a dick right here. Wait, I have another right. loop question. Okay. Is it just the people in a loop or does the land like so if they reset is like all the food still in the cabin, all the ammo, all the gas, all that I stuff think resets everything too? resets. Yeah. It resets to the way it was 10 years ago or whatever the beginning of your loop is because that's what happens in the other loop with the gun nut. Yeah. So when we get to the gun nut, I'll talk about it again. Okay. Which we're about to. So Aaron takes the same trail as he and Anna took the night before, except he walks past the waypoints as opposed to stopping at them. And they are taller than they were the night before. As he walks past, we watch as his view changes. And Anna walks over to the waypoints, but she cannot see him on the other side. Yeah. And he can't see her. So we cut to someone digging. We don't know where yet. And they find a hard drive. And as they're pulling a hard drive out of the ground, Justin approaches. This is the gun nut tweaker's house. Yeah. He approaches the guy who's just dug up the hard drive and just says, Hi, uh, Carl sent me, and the guy basically just brings him into the house where the gun nut tweaker is handcuffed to a wall, and he tells him, hey, Carl sent me, he wants a gun, it's a whole thing. I love how he's like, oh, okay, cool, yeah, 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 hey, do you happen to have any crack on you that we could, like, <laughs> yeah. smoke? Would you mind sharing crack with me? Right, right. <laughs> I love that. We also find out that he and Carl were shooting buddies yeah. at one point. And as we're doing that, Mike, who is his friend who dug up the hard drive, puts the hard drive into a computer and they hear screaming and horrible noises from the computer. Yeah. And he says it didn't work. And Justin is like, what do you mean? And they reveal that they've been trying to get out of their loop. 
I mean, they're doing a Groundhog Day. They're trying literally everything they can do to get out of this loop. And they don't know how successful they have been until they pull that hard drive. So they don't know if things worked or not. Yeah, I mean, they literally, I think, see how they get killed by the entity. That's what it sounds like, at least. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it sounds like they're watching their last attempt. Ah, uh, okay. attempt. Yeah, could be. And, and, and their death or whatever. Well, how do they get that every attempt? That's that's on the hard drive. Yeah, which the entity is leaving gives to on or about the property somewhere. And they have to find it. Yeah, because oh. the tweaker, when the tweaker's best friend comes in, the tweaker's like, oh, look who found another hard drive. Like, it's nothing new, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It, this has happened multiple, multiple times. Yep. But I did so, like how the tweaker's friend was like, well, because Justin watches it. He's like, what the hell did I just see? And the tweaker's friend yeah. is like, I don't know, our past, or our future. It doesn't really matter. And at that point, he knows he's going to set the whole cabin on fire and kill him and the, the gunned out tweaker or tweaked out gunner or whatever you call it. Uh, yeah, gun nut tweaker. Gun nut yeah. tweaker, mm-hmm. right? So like he's like talking to Justin as Justin's like leaving. And he's like calm and stuff, but he's got like this gasoline can. He's like pouring it all around them. Yeah. Dousing it's the so house. It's so insane. Yeah. yeah. But we sort of learn that the gunnut tweaker's friend is the husband of the lady who's looking for him. Yeah. Yes. At the camp. And he does give him a gun to give to Carl. Yes. We cut back to Aaron, who has discovered a tent in the middle of the woods. Oof. He walks just this side of the waypoint and watches through the window of the tent as a miner from the 1800s goes through the same 10-second loop over and over and over again. And in between each loop, he yells to Aaron from the window of the tent, don't stay here, leave before, leave until the final one where he tries to run towards the window and his body explodes into a mist of blood and splatters across the inside of the tent. Yeah, it's brutal. As it does. Yeah. We cut back to Mike and Chris, who Chris is the gun nut tweaker, and Mike is his friend. Yeah. And Justin is basically asking them, like, how long have you been stuck in this loop? And he basically says, well, I came up here to try and get Chris clean, and I told myself that we'd leave within a week just to kind of get him back to, you know, normal society yeah and that was a lot of weeks ago and they've decided that they'd rather reset it on their terms trying to get out of the loop they're just not gonna they're not gonna stop fighting the loop if that makes sense yeah and they're making plans for what happens when they get out and everything but even so he's like i hope my wife is happy and has moved on because i don't even know how long i've been here and at that point he tells justin that he needs to leave because they don't want to get you know stuck in the reset and he drenches the house in gasoline and he says because fuck you lights the house justin leaves the loop he realizes that he left the map in the burning house but he can't run back he watches as mike walks back into the burning house and as he does he watches as the house snaps back to the way it was a week before the first day that Mike arrives so everything resets so i have a question about this because we see mike arriving and chris seeing mike arrive right they act as if they are playing it out like it's the first time that's ever happened yeah so what bothers me about that is they actually should have the memories of the previous version of themselves that we just saw talking to justin this is the only part of the movie that i was like wait what there's a second part that does the same thing where 
when the camp resets, they find they see themselves standing on the other side of the border about to enter the camp, like happy and excited. I think it changes the second you enter the loop. So I think it resets, you enter the loop, and then you remember. Okay, but it seemed Uh. like he was inside the loop boundary, though. I don't know where the loop boundary exactly is on that loop, so I'm not sure. And I also thought Justin was inside the loop when it reset. No, he had just left. And if you watch, Mike looks from the porch to make sure he leaves before he goes into the house and dies by probably smoke inhalation. Smoke inhalation, Yeah. yeah. Now, here's the other thing to note. Justin watches their meeting again. So he watches, I believe, Mike re-enter the loop. Yeah. And a waypoint has sprung up near his feet. Yeah. So this is why we can track those waypoints. They get tall and then they we get smaller and that's how we track the time. So Justin makes his way back along the trail using the compass and he finds the trailer that Aaron was looking for from the photo that he got from the entity. He sees what he believes to be a cougar in the grass, but it turns away from the waypoints, unwilling to pass them. So it's almost like animals know about the loops or can see them and try to avoid them. And Aaron pops out from one of the waypoints. Now they're both lost. So they, (laughs) they find a note on the trailer saying that they're looking for their colleagues. This is where they get the little the flower drug that he had uh, on the night when she blew whatever she was smoking into his mouth. This makes me think that potentially this is where some of the campers came from, but we don't know. Yeah. But we do know that there is a projector set up to watch movies. And as they walk away from the trailer to try and get back to the camp, the projector clicks on showing videos of them before it is catapulted into the valley across what appear to be multiple loops by an unseen force. Back at camp, Hal looks into the sky to see what looks like a full moon and two more moons. That's no moon. It's just Tatooine. It's got two (laughs) suns. Anyway, so... And three moons. (laughs) We cut back to Aaron and Justin, uh, where they're talking... With each other, we find out that Aaron slept with Anna, but literally slept, like slept next to her. And back at camp, Hal and everyone is sitting down to a pretty somber last meal, it seems like. The two brothers, Justin and Aaron, walk through a desert past a dragon sculpture with giant waypoints. So we know that these are other loops that they're walking through. We cut back to the camp where everyone is literally preparing to die, like including Lizzie, and it's implied that this is her first loop. Oh, yeah, because Lizzie arrived from uh, a rehab facility, it seems like, right? And then Hal convinced her to stay. Mm -hmm. And she has only been there as long as the gun nut tweaker, so Chris and Mike's loop is younger than the time that she has spent at the camp. So however long she's been at the camp, that's how long Chris and Mike's loop has been going on because she spent time with Chris and did not get stuck in that loop. Right. Before Mike showed up. Before Mike showed up. So they trade Carl the gun for a map and the brothers head back towards camp. And as they're heading back towards camp, they're talking about like, do we stay or do we go? And this is where Aaron is like, our life back home is shitty. Why wouldn't I want to have a life forever that is better than what our life is on the outside? And Justin is like, hey, we don't know what life will be. Yeah. Could get better. Yeah. 
Um, and I don't think you're really thinking about this because you do it once and then you can never leave. And Aaron says, anything is better than the life you make me live. And so he agrees to take Aaron back to the camp. As they walk away from Carl's shack, he busts out of the shack. He sees the gun on the ground. He picks it up and fires a few shots into the sky. He then aims at his head and fires, but he's back almost instantly. And he just says, God damn it. As his loop restarts again. Carl's great, man. Carl is great. But the gun does but the gun doesn't disappear. The gun stays there forever now. The gun is in the loop at the reset, so it stays. Right. Yeah. But does it does it get the bullets it came with first? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. However it arrived. That's yeah. what so, so he kills himself over and over and over again. Yes, with the gun I now. think that's why yeah. he did it, because he didn't want to have to hang himself anymore. Yeah. So Justin and Aaron walk back to the camp and everything is deserted. This is where we see post-it note girl riding away on a bike. So for me, that sounds like she's trying to get out of the borders before the reset. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. They walk through where the last dinner was. Everyone's gone. Tim is at his cabin and he unlocks it and gestures for them to come up. They walk up and it's a room full of tapes and film and old technology so that they can watch the videos that the entity sends them dated back for years like a really long time yep the tv flicks on and it's a video of them doing the struggle there's a video of the baseball hanging in midair for the magic trick it's them shooting guns it's him underwater and then it's everyone standing in the circle for the ascension under the three moons the rope falls into the middle of the circle and they watch on tape as everyone in the camp is dismembered in a horrifying way leaving a mist of blood and shreds of their clothes. Yeah. And at this point, we reveal that it already happened. They potentially missed it. Yeah. Or so they think. They sit down at the campfire, and Justin basically is like, well, if you're staying, I'm staying. And Aaron says, well, if you want to stay, then let's leave. I just wanted you to hear me. Like, it's ridiculous. It is insane. Yeah. Welcome back to me being angry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as they agree to leave and realize that they're going to have to push the car to leave. Because he left the dome light on like an idiot. Lock it up, Aaron. If you just would have listened. Okay, uh, continue. They see a beast (laughs) rise from the forest. They start pushing the car as the beast destroys the entire camp behind them. They get it pushing. They get the car started and they manage to successfully drive out of the camp. Dude, the mirror effect as they cross through yeah, to the other really cool. side and you hear a crash yep. as they crash through it. And I was like, I was wondering, is like, is there some like time dilation where they caused the crash that killed their mom by oh! breaking out? Oh, my God. Yes. I never even thought of that. But yes, that makes sense. Because she would have been at the entrance of the loop. Yep. But that would have also meant that they knock themselves as children back out of the loop so they miss the reset. Yeah, which is they why it. they don't get trapped there in the beginning. Yeah, and then Hal, I guess, pulls them out of the car, but the car would have to be somewhat inside the loop for it to happen. I don't think this I don't think this is holding water here. I no, I think it actually does. I think that makes a lot of sense. That was just a theory I had watching it. I don't know if that's canon on any level. I don't know. I just think that's I think that's a great headcanon though. But they take off down the road, they pass the waypoints, they pass their mother's grave, they floor it and pop through the barrier just in time to come out the other side. Yeah. And in the rear view, 
the campgrounds look normal. And back at camp, Hal and the other campers stand on the border of the camp where they've been respawned without Aaron and Justin, and they walk back into camp, seemingly ready to start their next 10 years. We find out that gas is almost on empty in the car, but instead of taking charge, Justin turn to, turns to Aaron and says, you figure it out. And we watch the sky as a flock of birds flies out of a spiral and into normal formation. And, and that's, that's the, the movie. movie. I will say this about the whole, well, you handle it from Justin to Aaron is sort of like calling back to the conversation they just had where they were like pushing the car to start it because like Aaron, like a dick was like, well, I'm not going to push it if I can't drive. <laughs> like going to kill. Yes. Both what of was them up with that? Because yes, he yeah. wanted to drive. I was like, just push the goddamn car. You <laughs> white little bitch. Like I was so mad at him <laughs> in that moment. Yeah. And, but it does like Justin does learn that he does not have to be, his adult older brother's protector, right? He right. like he can let him live his own life. So like I do feel like they both sort of learn something throughout this. Like Aaron learns why they should have left the cult and Justin learns to like let go, right? So let's talk some final thoughts though. What do you guys think? I really like this movie. I liked it the first time I saw it. I liked it when I watched it this time. I think it's just super interesting it's super inventive and the things that they do with not a lot is inspiring honestly it really is if you want to be a filmmaker and you don't have a lot of money watch this movie because like it can happen yeah i mean yes like when i was watching this movie i was like so into what they were doing through the lens that I was just so mm -hmm. impressed by it. And the fact that they did it on a super low budget. It is like a single location movie. It's like this park or whatever they are. the right. Camp Acadia or whatever, you know. I'm not sure if it's actually right. called that. But it's like that one location, pretty much the whole movie. And you can tell it's a low, low budget movie. But man, it's good. I was really, really yeah. impressed with like them as filmmakers yeah i didn't really find the movie that scary it was interesting it felt sort of like a thought experiment that was played out in movie form which i was into right but it didn't really mm -hmm. feel like a horror movie to me per se i mean i would say there are definitely horror elements to it uh, yeah i mean and it is a horror movie like we even looked it up yeah it's very lovecraftian i think it's a horror movie I've enjoyed it a lot more talk like um, watching it the second time and talking about it, I think, makes me enjoy it more. I feel like it's a Donnie Darko without having to Google about it. Yeah. So I, it's like I a mean, good Donnie Darko is what you're saying. Yeah. I love getting you to talk about stuff you hate. But yeah, I, I like Donnie Darko, but like you kind of like maybe get the gist of it. But like this one kind of you like even I, if I had a bunch of questions and I did. I still knew what was going on, if that yeah, makes sense. You could follow it. Well, these guys I like a lot as filmmakers. Like, I will see anything they put out in the future just because I'm very oh, yeah. impressed with them. But I really think someone like uh, Lee Wanell should be like, hey, you also know how to make an awesome movie on a really small budget. Let's work together and, like, I'll produce a movie that you guys write and direct, that kind of thing. Because I feel like Lee Wan L should start like a camp for filmmakers that like the cost of entry is to have a film this good for this low budget. Because that group has to be such a small group of people who can make this level of a film for almost no money. All right. So fun facts. Yeah. So let's talk some fun facts, Paige. Paige. 
Page fun facts. Page fun facts. Oh my god. Okay, so the Endless that we just finished is essentially the second movie in a trilogy. Okay. The first one is a another horror movie that they made in 2012 called Resolution. The reports differ. Um, but allegedly they made resolution for somewhere between $3,000 and $20,000. Jesus, that's wow. insane. Uh, I, I heard more reports closer to three. I think that's very low. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle, but somewhere between around probably ten grand. And it is essentially the story of Mike and Chris, where Mike shows up to try and force Chris to get sober but they soon find that the events of that week are being mysteriously manipulated in the endless. We find out that it is the entity doing it. Oh. Uh, we talked about how House of the Rising Sun is uh, in the public domain, which is why they stayed in budget. Yeah. And also that's why Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead are the main characters in the film to again keep the budget down. Uh, this is one of the first genre films to compete at the Tribeca Film Festival just in the main category. The only one before it in recent years was Let the Right One In in 2008. Wow, okay. So it was Let the Right One In, nothing for 10 years, and then this movie. Awesome, okay. okay yeah. So it's it's in good company, it I is. would say. Absolutely. Another movie that we've done, Let the Right One In. Now, uh, Resolution, their original film, also screened at Tribeca in 2012. So it didn't get the distribution that this got, and that's why not as many people have seen it. Yeah. At one point in the movie, Justin's being showed the card trick, and we mentioned that he does pull his card and then he lies about it, but specifically the card he pulls is the Suicide King. Yeah. And it's, it's the King one of hearts. with the sword behind its head. Yeah. Uh... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, in the room where the math equation is on the blackboard, so Hal's cabin, there's actually a globe in the corner which shows Southeast Asia and Australia, but they're not in the correct configuration of current geography because in the globe, Australia is connected to both Papua New Guinea and Tasmania, which last would have happened approximately 12,000 years ago based on tectonic geology. So why is that globe that way? Who knows? That's wild. Okay. Numerous aerial shots in the film were all achieved via a very inexpensive drone and cheap cameras, much like the camcorders they used throughout the movie. Yeah. So it was incredibly low budget. Anyway, so this is the second in, a, I would say, a trio of movies that deal with time, uh, like horror movies about the concept of time. Yeah. Uh, so if you're super interested in it, Synchronic is the next one. It's on Amazon. Highly recommend. And those are my fun facts. Well, thank you for those fun facts, Paige. Now let's talk some box office. Now, Paige, you said that you may have found a budget for this movie, and I struggled to find any information that was definitive about a budget. I saw a lot of ranges thrown about, but nothing definitive. Do you have any information on that? I, I think I'm basically going to have a range for you. Well, okay, so what did you see? What I found is, A, micro-budget films are anything under $300,000. So yeah. that's, or, that's already... Super low. Yeah. But also, they raised most of the money for this movie themselves and self-financed a lot of it and had previously self-financed Resolution. And then it took them almost seven years of trying to get other people to make this movie that they were then able to eventually cobble together enough money to make it. It is estimated that this movie cost somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty to $100,000. 
That's really great. That's amazing. Like that's I know that. And here's the thing. I know that is a ton of money. Like that's that's a down payment on a house. So to downplay it and be like, oh, it's not a lot of money. But movies are expensive to make. And for them to have cobbled together that amount of money on their own and then to turn out a product this good is astounding. They yeah. did an amazing job. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I love it. So that's more or less what I saw too. And like to put that in perspective, like the low side being like twenty, twenty five thousand dollars to the high side being a hundred thousand dollars. The low side of that is like right around what like clerks cost to make in like the, twenty years before. Yeah, this. like in the nineties, right? Or I guess thirty years before this, really. So clerks came out in nineteen ninety four, and it was a twenty seven thousand dollar budget. So that today would be roughly forty eight thousand dollars, which is almost the midpoint of where we think they might be here. And if you compare Clerks to this, as far as like <laughs> I mean, filmmaking very different goes, films. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very different. Very different movies. Apples and oranges. Sure, 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 sure. But you're looking at a black and white comedy that takes place in one location where the shutters are gummed closed because they didn't want the, you to know they're filmed at night to this movie that is taking place outside largely and has quite a bit of special effects. I mean, also film technology has changed a lot. I'm just saying yeah, yeah, in perspective, yeah. I think Kevin Smith is a, a fine filmmaker, but these guys are also awesome. Well, also consider this movie is technically also a single location film for the most part, for the most part. because they had the run of that camp. Yeah. So they basically just like rented out a campground for as long as they were going to film, filmed everything they could at that campground, and then filmed whatever they needed to film outside it. So, yeah, if you told me this movie cost 50 grand, I'm still super impressed, but that sounds about right to me. Right. So let's just assume it's somewhere between 20 and $100,000, right? Yes. This movie came out on. April 6th, 2018, it was 63rd in theaters that weekend, and that's because it was in one theater. How can there be 63 other mo- 62 other movies in theaters? There were 99 that week, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think it made in its opening weekend at that one theater? I actually know, okay. so I'm going to have to recuse Mikey, myself. Mikey, what do you yeah. think? $4,000. Okay. It made $9,083 in its first weekend out. And then eventually it picked up and got into more theaters, but it never got into more than 20 theaters. Yeah. So the fact that I saw it in theaters is impressive. Good for oh, you, Paige. That's one. awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I am part of this amount of money. Yeah. We definitely helped. So what do you think it made in its total domestic run? In theaters. I actually know this as well. I found it as I was trying to find the budget. All right, Mikey, how's a guess? 175000 Honestly, that's not super far off. It's $272,000, and then it went on to make another 685000 internationally. So it made almost a million dollars, $957,000, and then in the home market performance, which would be like DVD and Blu-ray sales, it made another th- almost $320,000. So it made $1.2, roughly, million dollars, which is a really good inter- return on investment I for rented something it, that... So that's my yeah. percentage. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really good return on investment for something that was probably on the high side, $100,000, $110,000 to make. It then also, it went on on demand for a while. So if you had Spectrum, you could watch it for either free or not much money because that's how i forced my parents to watch it and (laughs) and we don't see how much money they made on those deals like we don't have that information so it's been streaming for a while yeah i watched it on netflix that's how a lot of people saw it yeah Yeah. it's got legs 
But that's your box office. So, Mikey, let's hit him with that scary scale. Yes, our scary scale is a scale of 1 to 10 uh, of how scary we found the film when we watched it this time. Our one example is Ghostbusters. Our 10 example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What do you think, Paige? The first time I saw this, I would have ranked it a little bit higher, but I think I'm going to give this one a 2. Okay, a 2. And a Todd? I'm going to give it a 1. I didn't find it really scary at all. It was just super creepy in some parts, but there aren't really any jump scares. It's it's just not super scary. It's a two for the guy in the tent for me. Oh, yeah. That part is more unnerving. Like, it's not super yeah. scary, but it's unnerving as hell. I'll give you that. But, again, love this movie. It's not a quality scale at all. It's a great movie. Yeah. Check right. it out. No, no, yeah, yeah. But I'm giving it a one. That's <laughs> scariness. Yeah. I think because that's I'm dead inside. Well, okay, quali- quality scale, though. What, what's, what are we ranking this on quality? Oh, is this a new thing? Our one example is... Our one example is Remember Me. Our ten example... <laughs> is also Remember Me. Is also Remember Me. <laughs> okay, no, our, our one example is... The Strangers. The Strangers. Our ten example is Conjuring 2. <laughs> no, Invisible Man. Invisible Man's a good one. Our, yeah, let's our, do that Our one. ten example is Invisible Man. Our... our one is The Strangers, Ten's Invisible Man. Where are we ranking this on quality? If I go first, I'm going to give it a like a seven. And the only okay. reason it's not a ten is because yeah. they didn't have a, like a $7 million budget like Invisible Man did. I would give this probably an, an eight, Yeah, I would say. And the only reason, again, it's not a ten is, is budget. But then I look at like what they're able to do with more budget, and I'm excited for the future. Anyway, there Same. you go. Mikey, what do you think? I mean, I think it's probably seven-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I didn't come to this podcast prepared to rate quality. Or speed. And as you all know, Mikey does a lot of prep work before the episodes. <laughs> yeah. I wrote I write at least a joke per episode. <laughs> Mikey, I don't know how you work it into your schedule, honestly. Neither do I. <laughs> so this week you guys made me watch The Endless. What are you guys making me watch next week? Next week, you're watching The Ritual. Oof. Have you seen it before? I have not, and I hear it's freaky, so I'm excited. I have watched it, and I made out during it, so there's parts I want to rewatch. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> you want to rewatch and just reminisce what it felt like to feel the touch of another human? I liked her, and she she hurt me. We can get into it next week. No, no, let's not. I mean, maybe next week while we're watching it, sure. Fine. We'll talk about it next week. That's fine. <laughs> so your homework this week is to join a cult, possibly the Facebook group and or the Discord, and watch the ritual. Yay. So, guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including TikTok. Mikey is at mrandolph24 and I am at Todd J. Awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horrorvirgin where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm-hmm, than the mm-hmm. regular feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys, check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. 
If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable. That's fine. But if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash virgin. We also link it like once a week. So just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. And literally, we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And guys, we got a P.O. box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. So, Mike, do you have a review for us to read? I will have one very soon. Well, while you're looking one up, let me tell them how they can have their review right on the podcast, and that is to leave us a five-star text review, and Mikey will read it. Mikey, whose review are you going to read this week? <laughs> I'm going to read Bui, Bui Bot. Okay. It's entitled Sex! Exclamation point, exclamation point. Oh, okay, I'm listening. It says, now that I have Mikey's attention, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> please, please, please review Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things from 1972. You will pee your pants. You won't believe you peed your pants. Trust me, such a wrong. <laughs> okay. I love the joy your podcast brings to my life. Never stop punching children. <laughs> This is someone who is specifically a Mikey fan. Yeah. I mean, that's why I read it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Bowobot, for that awesome five-star review. And if if you want to have Mikey read your review, leave us a five-star review. This episode brought to you by Nick Nick B. Nick B, fun fact. Oh, yeah? He's stuck in an endless loop of giving us money every month on Patreon. He is our first $50 patron. Like, no joke. He was the first person to do that level. And we have been lambasting him with fake fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> and all I do is talk shit to him. And we apologize for the loop that you're stuck in. But thank you so much for helping make this podcast possible. This episode also brought to you by... Ori. Ori. And I recently found myself stuck in a three hour loop and Ori like wandered into my loop and said that they needed some help with some stuff. And I said, yeah, I'll help you. But there was something that I really needed from the next loop over. And they went over there and got me uh, just like a sleeve or like a box of grasshoppers, which like they're like thin mints, but you can get them year round. And uh, what I do is I eat half of the box, and then I wait for the loop to reset, and then I have a whole new box every time. Okay, so if you brought the full box in... Yeah, so they brought the full box in, they left the loop, I eat half of the box, and then when the loop resets, I have a whole new box of grasshoppers. This episode also brought to you by Awesome Possum Blossom, and Awesome Possum Blossom wants me to give you some Awesome Possum facts, so here's one for you. They are the kangaroo of our country, of America, for those international listeners. Oh, because they're a marsupial? Yeah, so Australia can keep their kangaroos. We have a smarter, more compact version here at home, although they aren't considered as cute in most people's eyes. They don't hop around, they don't look as good in boxing gloves. But they're just as interesting. Plus, they can carry their babies in a pouch. This episode also brought to you by Brandon's Bug Business, which is actually called Bug Cage Company on Facebook. So if you have any tarantula, spider, scorpion, centipede, millipede, or any other apede that you might need, reach out to Bug Cage Company on Facebook and they will ship you some bugs for pranking or practical purposes. 
Mm. Nailed it. Mm. This episode's also brought to you by Jeff, and Jeff has a wonderful podcast called Kissing Jessica Jones, where each week they break down one episode of the Jessica Jones Netflix TV show. So check it out. We now return you to another episode of the batshit insane The Patrioticals. I guess we're starting it with an insult. That's fine. Okay. Um. So <laughs> very passive aggressive. Kate got her psychic powers zapped out of her. Literally knocked out of her head. Yeah. Yeah. Atlantis was a trap. Yeah. Who would think Atlantis was in Brazil or Argentina? <laughs> Those stupid idiots. <laughs> idiot. Mikey. <laughs> yeah, you guys are making fun of me, but really it was them who made the choice. It was a ruse all along. So Amy, <laughs> she's an astronaut, right? She teaches Tristam how to become a space shuttle. And they get in it, and this is what's happening now, is Tristan has transformed into a space shuttle to escape, and Sasha has loaded in Kate, and they were like, there's, Amy was like, you know the safest space I've been in uh, since this all started? And Sasha finished her sentences because they become really close friends. She said, space, space, and then they're like, yep. Wow. Uh-huh. And then they just strapped in the Scott because he's made out of rocks. He couldn't fit in the space shuttle, so he's just strapped to the to the bottom, and he's just going to be in space because he doesn't need to breathe. So they take off into space, <laughs> and okay. they're into space now. So over on the West Coast, right? Isaac finally pulls up their Ford Pinto to the PCB. This whole time they've been in a Ford Pinto? <laughs> Yeah. This is shit you got to tell us way in advance. This is the fourth episode they've been on this road trip in what amounts to a small broken car. They finally drive past LAX and get to the ocean. Right. And they get out and never once getting on the PCB because you wouldn't need to. I don't know about that. Okay. So anyway, Isaac gets out. He's like, oh, my gosh, there's nothing here. So wait, they're on the beach. Isaac is on the beach complaining about how there's nothing there. Yeah, because he's evil or whatever. I don't know. And then Evil Matthew's <laughs> like, I am hungry. Let's do a beach cookout. And so they cook and eat Dave. Wow. Okay. So Dave obviously dies every episode and comes back. But right. in my mind, Dave comes back because his body's still around and it just like reforms like T2 style. And then Dave no. is there. My concern is if he's been digested. Do you have to wait until Dave is passed before Dave can reconfigure himself and then grow again? If you go back to the episodes when they were trapped in the ocean and they ate him, he actually regrows his, he like, like Wolverine heals. Oh, so they don't eat all of him. They just eat like an arm or whatever. Right. They put him on a spigot and then. You mean a a spit? No, he meant spigot. No, Paige, let it happen. Spit. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That's the word. Anyway, they eat his limbs and they grow back later and then he's burns heel or whatever. And then Karun is like, y'all, if this is America, I hate it. And he's like, you guys are pretty badass evil dudes. And and Isaac and evil Matthew are like, yeah. Yeah, duh. Evil's literally in one of our names. Yes. And um, basically... Karun's like, what if we go to space to like kill my enemies back on the moon? Because I hate it here and I gotta get out. Will you guys do that for me? And they're like, Yeah, friend, let's go, let's go hijack another space shuttle. This planet's made us crazy and we must, must get, get out. out. <laughs> oh, the Maroon 5 all day, Paige. Hell yeah. So anyway, also back in space, they realized that they left Eddie back in Atlantis accidentally. 
And Oops. oh no, <laughs> Eddie has been. He uh, was talking to a bunch of pythons, so he is actually a giant body of pythons slithering around him. But you can always see his face, and he's fighting evil Illuminati people like that until the space shuttle comes back. To, Tristan comes back down and picks him up, which I thought was a cool twist. That I thought. Did of the pythons now. come too? Yes. <laughs> Okay, I'm interested to see how they react to space travel. Yeah, same. So he fully is now just Python Eddie. He's like, get a load of these pythons. Yeah. (laughs) What seasoning does one use to eat a Dave? What are the odds that both of our groups decided independently to go to space in the same episode? When Amy was saying they needed to get to a safe space, do you think that our group realized that they were going to actual space? (laughs) Find out next week on another episode of uh, The The Patreonicals. That's going to be it for us this week. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it ooky spooky. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Looping nerds.